Value Entrepreneurs, today we have Kat McLeod. Uh, she is the creator of Pinpoint Your Perfect Business. Wow, this story is, is wild. When she came from being a stripper, from a stripper, she got into the dominatrix role. And from there, she kind of worked her way out of that, that business and started going after helping other people that struggled to move out of that sex working business uh, and start their own career. And from there, she's actually helped a lot of mothers and other individuals. So it's been quite the transition of just helping other individuals. And she's learned from her own past failures. Take a listen, please subscribe. And of course, tell your friends. Welcome to the road to growth, success of an entrepreneur. We've raised the bar. Learn firsthand from successful business owners and create your own path to success. I'm going to show you how great I am. It's time to hit the road to growth with team lead of the Enriquez Group, Realtor Vinny. You are, I guess, the owner, the creator of helping mostly single whole women. Can we start? actually start again? I'm going to start. I'm going to cut. Sorry. Let's start from the beginning. Your perfect business. There it is. Right there. Yeah. And, I, and I don't do single woman. I do moms. Moms. Okay. Sorry about that. Yeah. Okay. Ready? All right. So uh, starting again. One, two, three. Okay. We're... <clears throat> so we are finally here with uh, Kat McLeod. Uh, so you are the creator of Pinpoint Your Perfect Business. I right? sure am. Even more so, you have just a quite a diverse um, history, and I think there's some. The one thing that got me when you said when you sent them over your bio was what was it? So you started a men's fetish business at the age of 22, and you're able to from there. You of course you went all the way, six figure business, helping uh, getting a master in psychology coaching sex workers out the adult industry into entrepreneurship and then becoming a millionaire stay-at-home mom. Like that's a quite diverse background. I think some of those would be one, one time, one person's life, but you've kind of compiled this all into, into your own. So walk us, walk us through the beginning of kind of who you are, where you came from. I know your listeners are, a group of people that really could use stories on overcoming some stuff. And that is me. So I started out my life in a very abusive home. I feared for my life. I truly thought I was going to be murdered when I was young. I was beaten severely on a regular basis. So to escape that home, I started stripping. I moved out to Los Angeles and here in LA, things were a little different than where I started. There was lap dancing and I wasn't down with that. So I answered an ad to be a dominatrix. It specifically said no touching, no sex, things like that. I thought, oh, that's really intriguing. It seemed like fun. And it was for the first six months. Uh, it was really fun turning the tables. It was something new. I was 21. I was new in LA and it felt wild and I enjoyed it. And after six months, I hated it. I was burned out. It, I'm not into that stuff in my own personal life. If you are, that's cool, but it just wasn't for me. And so I decided to get a quote unquote normal job and just niche down into what I most enjoyed slash tolerated, but it was only about five to 10% of my dominatrix business. So I knew it was only going to be supplemental income. 
However, I found out I was wrong. At the age of 22, I discovered that the riches truly are in the niches. As I niched down to only one thing, my clientele skyrocketed. I just drew in a completely different clientele, only into one specific aspect of BDSM, not into any of the other like whipping or dominations stuff. And I over doubled my rates. I was making multiple six figures at that age. I bought my first home in LA at the age of 23 and I was rocking business again. So, the first, Oh yeah. Sorry. So, so jump in there. Right. Okay. I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of <laughs> off there, right there. but one question, how did your, your real estate agent react when they knew where the money was coming from, from the whole dominatrix thing or the lender? Was there anything there? No, they didn't know where the money was coming from. Okay. They didn't. Okay. So <clears throat> were you always okay? I know you're coming out of the idea of, I guess, scarcity because you're coming from like a, a home that maybe you're a little scared to be around there. So you had to, out of necessity, get into the stripping business. Yet, was there a moment where you're like, I'm doing this, I'm kind of scared of actually showing my body in front of all these strangers? Or was it more so I need to do this to get out of where I am? It was, it was more excitement. I felt I had my boyfriend at the time comment about how he didn't blame strippers because they had an asset and they were using it. Now, looking back as an adult, I can completely understand that statement. As a young teenager, I took that as a, they can do it and you can't. So at that time period, I just wanted to do it and make money. I had run myself some credit card debt and I didn't know when I started tripping that that would be my ticket out of the Midwest onto the West Coast where I would be confident that I could support myself. Oh, wait. So you came from the Midwest. You yes. came from the Midwest. And then where were you stripping? In the Midwest. Originally. Oh, you're stripping there in the Midwest. So the people you went to school with, because I, it's it, interesting. I, I actually had someone I went to college with that was talking about the idea of making side money of stripping. And the one advice I gave was at least try to do it a town over, you know, if you're going to do it. Was there anything like that or anything that crossed your mind at that such a young age to say, I need a game plan of, yeah. I mean, I was, I was doing that when I was in college and it was nowhere near my college, but okay. I did run into people I did know at one point in time and it was extremely humiliating and I left the club. They snuck me out so I didn't have to face them. Oh, wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, and then you got into, from there, you went to the dominatrix stuff right there and you realize you have to be very niche to actually grow your business and, and grow your demand. Was that something you just learned over time? Was there advice from someone else that was in the industry that was saying, hey, you got to kind of hyper-focus? No, I did it on accident. I said I accidentally niched down into only what I most enjoyed and my business wound up exploding. So it was completely accidental. Now I do it on purpose. <laughs> so, okay, so now you're, you're right there. You're making good money. Okay, go, can you go back in the story? Sorry. So I was making multiple six figures. I enjoyed it for the first six months. I guess I have a six month window where something's new and fun and then I hated it. However, I kept trying to quit and the money was so immense that I kept going back. So I, I, com I continued doing fetish for an additional four and a half years. During this time, I was doing a lot of self-help. I had a lot of therapy to work through my issues. I was going to a therapist twice a week. I had a raging eating disorder and I was adding in things that I did enjoy to try to offset 
doing my fetish business, which I didn't enjoy. It wasn't that the work was so unenjoyable. It was that I felt really unpurposeful, unmeaningful. I was like spending my twenties and my brains like doing fetish and it just was super monotonous and I kept it secret. So all of those mixed together made me feel really bad about myself and depressed. Oh my gosh. So was there a time, because it, it, you're talking about the idea that the money was just so good that you couldn't leave it. Was there moments where you're like, I gave it up for a month, two months, and then just kind of felt it, how it was on your pocketbook? Or what happened there? Was there anything like that? or That happened repeatedly. So I okay. would get burned out because I... I was a workhorse. It was really hard for me to turn down so much money. We're talking hundreds and hundreds of dollars for every client I said no to. And it was hard for me to turn it down. So I would keep working until I just could not do it anymore. And then I would quit for like, we'll say a month and travel around. And then I would go back to it over and over again. And during the time I was def definitely looking into alternatives and I was I was really used to making so much money and being my own boss. It was super hard for me to transition out. Curious, what's one of the most obscure requests from in, in that industry that you ever received from a client? Are you able to say? I am able to say, but during the time period, I was very focused on only doing one fetish. I didn't allow any deviation, so there were no requests. If you're going back to my dominatrix time period where people did have requests, then, I mean, I had, it, it was anything from putting eggs in my hair. Yeah, for real. Like somebody paid me hundreds of dollars to put eggs in my hair and shampoo my hair because it was really long at the time to, yeah, the most common fetishes like I don't even want to get into them I don't find them appropriate but uh, <laughs> uh, do you think I mean and I'd be very interested because I talk to a lot of people on a daily basis right but I only get to see one side of them mostly in the real estate side right where you're talking about on their high moments low moments like that but you're seeing people in moments that are moments that a lot of people don't get to see do you think you were able to pick up more information about the human psyche from those years? I think that specifically in the fetish business that I was in, it was really gentle. And most of my clients were really successful, high powered men. Mm. I think my, my using my master's in psychology now looking backwards, I think that these men were overall nice guys and they were very dominant in their personal lives, in their business lives. They were the boss. They were, a, a lot of my clients were the boss. They were business owners. They were high up. They were very high earners. And I think that they came to me to not be the boss so that somebody else can be in charge. And at this time I wasn't like, I wasn't a dominatrix anymore, but I do have an assertive dominant personality and they could be told what to do. And I, they took my lead. They were not the leaders. I always led. And I think that they just got to relax in that. A lot of them were married and they didn't want to quote unquote cheat on their wives. This is what I'm thinking. They didn't say this to me, but I would wonder why they would come to me, even though I'm sure their wives would not be happy. Some of my clients, actually their wives did know and they would send me gifts and stuff, but it's a way to 
uh, we'll say explore maybe something their wives did not want to do without invading the marriage. Because like I said, there, I did not have sex with my clients. So there was no crossing that line at all. And that was comfortable for some of my clients. Most of my clients, I would say their wives did not know. I would say most of my clients were married. There were a few that were not married. I had a few clients trying to court me over the years that I had no interest in. And I did have a lovely couple whose wife always sent me like her favorite gift of the month or whatever it was. And every time he came, he would send, he would bring a gift from his wife of a beautiful, unique bouquet or beautiful makeup, something special that she picked out for me, which was always lovely. Oh my gosh. Now did, I mean the idea, and I would have no clue, but people say the idea of pillow talk, right? Where people are able to express more of like their deepest, darkest secrets, that kind of thing. I'm assuming in those vulnerable moments when you're dealing with the people, the individuals, would that happen a lot too, where you're like dissecting them with your site, your, your degree, no. anything like that? Okay. Anything like that? No. I mean, every once in a while, I would say I had a few, I, I think these were more of my single clients, yeah. that they were more lonely. And so then they would talk about stuff, but otherwise, no, I, I ran a business. So, okay. Now you've accumulated so much, a lot of funds, you're, you're, you're doing really well. What was that next path to allow you to get out of that business into to where you are today? About five years in, I was really burned out. Even my long-term clients were asking me, this is how burned out I was. I usually could like fake it during a session. You know, people are paying me so much money and my long-term clients were like, you don't seem happy. Oh, wow. You seemed really sad. So I, and I was, I was just really, really unhappy at this point. It'd been five years. I think I was about the age of 26 hard looking backwards. I, I was really burned out. I did not want to do it anymore. I felt like I was abusing myself basically to stay in this business. I was like continuing feeling bad about myself. And I was open about it with one of my clients and he hired me for his business. He hired me for his corporation. He owns a company and he put me in charge of a division of his company. And I blew that sucker up. It's still successful to this day. So entrepreneurship really lent well to running a division of a company because I'm a self-starter. I get things done. And that's what he saw. He liked the way I run my brand, my business very professionally. However, I did not like having a boss set hours, set lunch, being micromanaged. It did not work for me. So I decided to enroll and get my master's in psychology so that I could be a therapist and help women like myself who really came from oh, challenging backgrounds. So that Because my therapist helped me and my head was on straight at this time. I wasn't depressed anymore. I did a lot of work to get there and I wanted to help others. And that's how I wound up enrolling in psychology for my master's degree. I, I've never sat down with a therapist. What do you feel is, is a good trade in, in, a, in a good therapist? Like what do you receive out of it? What's, what were you looking for in a good therapist? Well, I, since I've had so much therapy, I can definitely tell you what a good <laughs> therapist feels like versus like a mediocre one. For me, a good therapist is really an active listener and they encourage you. I personally like a mix between therapy and coaching, although I know that you're not supposed to legally blur those lines, but I like a forward moving therapist. I would not want to be with a therapist who you've been with for five years, 10 years, and you're almost in the same place going over the same old shit. That just doesn't work for me. So I like 
my therapy, I like it to be more forward moving, listening, active listening on the therapist part. And yet like very supportively challenging the thought so that you keep on moving forward. And that's really an important element to me and anybody who's new to therapy that yes, you want to be heard. Yes, you want to be able to tell your story. And to me, a good therapist helps you move forward and not just stay stuck in your muck. Otherwise, you could be there 15 years and now talking about your horrible childhood and whatnot, which you know you need to take ownership for your life now. That did happen and you can create an amazing life like I have for myself for the last decade. I've been living a major dream life. So so now you're getting to your business. You're starting your own business where you're helping other people out. How did you get your first clients? As my second year graduate school project, I chose helping women transition out of the sex industry for obvious reasons. I knew what it was like to make hundreds, if not thousands of dollars an hour, and how hard it was to leave the business. I totally knew, and that's how I pivoted and accidentally became a business coach. When I chose sex workers leaving the adult industry, I knew that getting a quote unquote normal job would not work for the majority of them. The clients that I did get at that time period, they had already tried multiple times to leave, just like I had <laughs> attempted to leave. So that's when I developed my high profit, high purpose framework. The one I still use today for busy moms because that need for the high profit for the time spent was really, really important. And the purpose is really important because we were already all making high profit. So that's why I definitely 100% know for a sustainable business, high profit is not enough. I only work with people that care about high profit, high purpose, because both of those, that profit and purpose piece is so important for a sustainable business that you can feel good about. And that's what I brought into the women's lives that I was working with. And to answer your question, my first client came to me from a referral. So we're... The people in the sex industry, okay, the first one's a referral. Were you prospecting them at all or was it mostly referral based? I was prospecting them and that did not go over kindly, just so you know. Like to, you know, to even bring it up, I think it helped that I was saying I was in an adult industry and I transitioned out, but I got a lot of threats. I had a lot of not nice things said to me. It was really harsh that way. It really worked more in my favor when I got a little bit of publicity and got and contacted agencies and got known that way and people found me. It did not work when I went and tried to find people. How, how did you, like, how are you coming across these people in the first place? Or, or were you just like going into locations and saying, hey, have you thought about a career change or no, what there is an organization in Los Angeles that helps women before they get it. Well, I don't know if it still exists. So I will preface with that. Over a decade ago, there was a organization in Los Angeles that before you could even go into the porn industry or anything like that, you had to get a permit. And so they had resources, they had a lot of resources for the adult industry, and they were a referral source for me. 
And I believe that's where my first client came from. She came from me from a referral, but I wasn't sure exactly which one. I just wanted to help her. And she referred me to two other people. So it definitely was from that little PR blurb or the agencies around that help women transition out. So the women that I worked with, they want, they had already on their own wanted out and they were having a hard time like I did myself one time transitioning out. The ones I tried to cold call, they did were not receptive and and I totally get it. Like I get you, why they were not receptive. Wow, that's interesting. You're cold calling. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. So how are you getting <laughs> like that? That what was your pitch? Because yeah, we do we do some cold calling here on the team. Like what was your pitch? Like so, let's say you're calling me out in the sex sex industry. What would you say? I I mean I don't exactly remember was something like are you looking to transition out I've been there myself when I successfully transitioned out and now I help others that do and that did not go over well. Oh my gosh, interesting. The um so you're you're helping out these people in, in the the sex industry and kind of walk me through like you're growing your your base up you're getting more people to help out. What's what's that process like? It's moving them into high profit entrepreneurship. And that's how I became a business coach. I had to take their skills and see what could be the most profitable. I have a great knack at this. And because I learned at the age of 22 that the riches are in the niches, I knew to really niche them down to pairing their skills with an audience that could pay high profit for that skill. Can you say that one more time? You said riches in the what? The riches are in the niches. Riches are in the niches. Right there, right there. Um, okay, so so you're dissecting kind of what they do, their background, and then how would you kind of give them advice on uh, the, the the avenue to go forward with, or what would you walk them through there? I would coach them. At this point, I had a master's in psychology and I was a certified coach. So I would coach them to finding their own internal answers and guiding them and using my profit and purpose framework, measuring their skills on the profitability index and really niching them down. And that's just a superpower of mine. I don't know what to say about it. I got really good at it. I think it's a natural talent of mine that I use to this day where I can use something like, I'm not going to go into my uh, my, uh, my clients' businesses back then because that's private, but I can yeah. talk about some of the businesses now. For instance, one of my first clients in my business working with busy, busy moms, she took her skills of making cakes that she learned from her mom, and we niched her down into gluten-free baking, which is super popular here in Los Angeles because her mother and her sister both have celiac disease. So this is something that she was dear to her heart, felt very purposeful. And the way we turned it profitable is because people will pay mega bucks here for baby showers and kids' birthday parties when their kids have allergies and they want to make sure that there's no issues and they'll pay for that. And her cakes are gorgeous. And I've been a customer customer of her myself after I worked with her. And that can go all the way uh, forward into niching down into something as specific as Dubsado. One of my clients, she's the Dubsado bestie. We niched her down right into only one software program. And she has a thriving practice with a wait list. And she only has to work four days a month 
four days a month, four wow. clients a month replicates her entire corporate salary. And her whole thing was that she wanted to leave corporate so she could be a mom first to her two kids. That's what we do. So that's what I'm, she had all of these skills and she was trying to present them all and, and presenting them all confused her clients, confused her audience. And she was actually making no money because people were confused. When we niched her down into what was the highest on my profitability index, which was this, this Sado, people pay her thousands of dollars for getting their Dubsado set up and her doing all of that. It's nothing that I know about because I'm not a techie, but this is what I'm talking about. It's all the way from gluten-free baking to Dubsado software. And the first client she ever got, she's like, or I think it was her second client. She's like, Kat, I cannot believe people are paying me so much money for this. It's so easy. And I burst out laughing because I don't know if you're a techie, Vinny, but I'm certainly not. So setting up Dubsado would not be easy for me. And I laughed and I said, that's why it's a perfect business for you. It's not easy for your clients. They're in the middle of it. They're in like in, in software hell and you're saving them. And that's exactly the right business. And I was talking to her about, I feel the same way, way about my business. Coaching is so easy for me. Spotting the profitable business, the purposeful business is so easy for me. I love getting paid big money and helping people. So that's when you know you've got your sweet spot with your profitability, your purpose, and pleasure. Because I totally believe in the three Ps. We haven't really touched into pleasure. And the older I get and the more in business I am, the more I really lean into adding pleasure and making sure your business is pleasurable to you or making it so your life is pleasurable and supporting your business. Because my clients are busy moms and we need that pleasure element to sustain our business and have enough energy for our family and ourselves. Okay, so how's the initial onboarding? when you deal with, uh, with your upcoming clients? Because that'd be very interesting to dissect, I guess their big why, the product and all that kind of stuff. Is there a, a questionnaire that you put together? Is it more of a conversation piece or how does that work? I, I, I talk to them. My clients wise are to provide a better life for their family, use their skills, use their smarts, use their talents, have a fulfilling purposeful work for themselves that still allows them to be mom first. That's why I'm all about the high profit for the time spent that purpose and profit framework. So it's all about being mom first, yet having that purposeful business that makes you feel good or makes me feel good and bringing in that income for your family so that you can go on luxury travel, provide the extra classes for your family, provide that lifestyle for your family, replace a corporate income. What do you, what do you think has been kind of like one or two of like your biggest struggles? And I, I, I mean, the places you've gone to, I think people live there for a lifetime, but for yourself, has there been like maybe one or two like very big struggles that you've kind of look back and saying, how did I fight through? How did I build this business that I have today? That's a great thing to highlight is that during the time period where I was transitioning out of the fetish business, it was really messy. It's like we're condensing it. So it sounds all neat and packaged right now, but at the time period, it was superbly messy. I felt really depressed. There were days that I did not want to leave my house. I would still work, but I wouldn't even have the energy to like leave the house. Luckily, I had an amazing personal assistant at the time. And he would encourage me like, Oh, let's just walk to the bank. Like, let's like, let's, so he would, he really helped supported me at the time. And 
during that really mucky period, I'm glad that I reached out for support. I had an amazing personal assistant and I had therapy twice a week. So that was a huge challenging time because of my mental state was not good doing something I didn't like, feeling stuck, feeling like I couldn't get out. I'm going to guess a lot of listeners can feel this way where maybe you are not where you want to be in your life right now, but you feel stuck. And I'm here to assure you it's messy, but you just keep moving forward. Keep wanting that better life for yourself and keep taking action towards it and you will get there. It's not going to be tomorrow, but you will get there once you firmly decide on success. And then the other, you asked for two major setting points. Uh, well, I mean, this is not a, this is definitely not a huge thing to overcome. However, when I married my husband, I fully planned on being a pampered stay at home mom. My husband is a really high earner and I don't ever have to work again. When I married him, I had 10 times more money than he did. And it's not like I married into money, but at this point in time, I never have to work again. And it, it, it did was a, like, I had to really think about, do I want to step back into the business world versus just being a pampered stay at home mom and running my house and having lots and lots of free time. And what I did was do something in between. So I run a really successful coaching business. I love it. I feel amazing about it. And I still make sure I'm mom first. So I keep that practice within 10 to 15 hours a week. And I do my schedule. So every other week I do things like podcasting and writing content. And every other week I take coaching calls, run my group programs, things like that. So I still maintain my schedule. So I feel like it's an amazing balance where I feel like I'm sharing my skills and being purposeful and my own person, yet I'm still mom and wife first. That, the thing you talked about of, of the depression and kind of getting through that, the industry right there, I mean, a lot of people, and I talk about this all the time, that go away from the idea of fear instead of going towards pleasure, right? How were you able to, and you, you said it a couple times right there, that you went towards this, this vision of pleasure, of where you wanted to be at. How did you accomplish that? Was, that a, was there a vision board? Was there self-affirmations? Like, what allowed you to go towards that pleasure, that hope? I start with my clients to this day with the vision of where they want their business to be one year from now. So at the time period, we're talking 15, 17 years ago, I wasn't so concrete in being able to do that. I just naturally wanted more for myself. So it wasn't as concrete where I really like imagined like this element of my life and now I'm doing this and I'm dancing on the beach and like really going into it. But I wanted more. I knew I wanted more. And that just vague version of more and what that more looked like got me forward. If, if you're listening and you really want more, the best way to do it is what do you want your life to be like one year from now? And really feel it, really visualize it. Where are you working? Like, what does your day look like? What time are you getting up? Who's making breakfast for you? Are you doing it or is your cook doing it? Things like that. These little tweaks where you're really envisioning will help you move forward and then keep aligning day to day and expect that it's going to be messy and it's not success only. I think that's a huge key. I failed a lot of times and I'm not saying it didn't get me down. I'm just not a quitter and I decided I wanted more for myself and I did it. And as far as affirmations, they did not feel right for me at periods of my life. However, when I was ready to get married and settle down with my husband, I did use an affirmation. I used it daily, multiple times a day. And at that time, it felt really right for me. And it worked because my husband and me, we met 
I moved to Austin and we met and married within six months. My husband and I married within a little over two months after meeting each other. I broke off a long-term engagement and it's been 10 years and we are superbly happy and have, I would say, an A an A marriage. It's definitely on an A plus. We could do a little tweaks <laughs> now and everything, but it's still a really, really close, close, superb marriage. And I think that takes a vision and we put energy into it. We put, we put energy and effort into creating our lives and our marriage. And that's why I think that we've had a lot of success. So it's a great question that no podcast interviewer has ever asked me about how I moved forward with that vision. That vision back then was vague, but now you're listening and you know that the more clear you make that vision and if you hold it in your, the first thing in the morning, last thing at night and multiple times a day, it's going to get you there so much faster. The clearer you know where you want to go to the better. And that, that pleasure piece is hugely important in creating your life. So I did it really messy in my twenties, but I do it really consciously in my thirties, superbly consciously and in my forties. And that's how I built a superb dream life. Uh, Vinny can see that I'm in a room in my beach house. I can see the ocean outside my window. We have created wealth with a lot of love, super tight family. My son is healthy and we are super close. (laughs) Zero abuse in my house, just lots of love enjoy spending time together. And that all came from a vision that I held and that we work towards. And I still work towards, I still have mindset issues. I still have a tendency to go into that worry and that fear that you were just talking about, get over anxious, uh, get scared. I can still sometimes be abusive internally to myself, like hear my dad's voice and beat myself up for stuff. And I actively work on releasing that and just moving to where I want to do. Like my New Year's resolution for this quarter was level eight self-love. So I think I'm at level seven and level eight was the next important step for me. And that looks like to me releasing at least 80% of stuff that of worry that I have no control over. So I have a tendency to worry and move into that fear like you just spoke about. And my focus is level eight self-love would not worry about things I have no control over. And if I have control over it, then take the action and, and stop worrying about it. Cause that's the most invasive thing in my well being is some anxiety and worry that I still hold to this day. Do you do uh, speaking engagements? I don't. I, uh, <laughs> I, I can see you on stage. You have so much energy right now. I can just see you kind of like, like want to get out there. Just talk to the crowd. So Vinny, that's something I'm super interested in because my main legacy that I want to leave behind is that it does not matter where you started out and the bad decisions that you made in your past, that you can still create the life of your dreams. And it's not coming from some fluffy bullshit, as you can see from the story that I shared. It's coming from grit, determination, and, and action. But that's my main ideal dream. However, I'm mom first right now. And as my son is in first grade, that's not going to be a possibility till he's much more independent because I would not travel around and not be able to pick him up from school because at this point in my life, that's really important to me. So that's why I do it on these kind of stages. And it is important to learn. It doesn't matter if you were in the adult industry, if you were a drug user, if you're being abused right now, you truly have what it takes within you to create the life that you want. And it sounds so fluffy, motivational, but I think when you hear with my background that I've done it, so I know it's possible. I've seen my clients do it. I know that you can do it. And the past, your bad decisions in the past does not matter. It matters what you do right now. All right. So talking about the past, 
if you could talk to that that young girl that was about to strip start stripping what kind of advice would you give her that i'm not going to say anything negative there because i like in the place where i am in my life right now the more place that i would want to go back to talk to is the younger girl that was really depressed inside the home that she bought in cash with the money she was raking in from her business that she bloody hated and had a horrible eating disorder and felt so depressed that she did not know how she was going to get out of it i would tell her that it's all going to be okay that it's all okay and you're going to find your way out now if someone wants to to, to get your services to hear more about you what's the best platform to reach you find information about you the best way to reach me is at sahmentrepreneur.com. That's stay-at-home mom entrepreneur, sahmentrepreneur.com, because I work with busy moms, and I like them to become entrepreneurs so that they can be at home, be mom first, and create the life that they want for their kids. And that's, at this point in my life, that's who I exclusively work with, busy moms. Any last piece of advice for any entrepreneur, anyone listening, anyone in something that uh, a job, a career, a path that they just don't like, any, any kind of advice you can give to anyone listening right now? I've touched on it. I'm going to hone it in even more. If you want to really make a change in your life, the number one thing to do first is to decide on that success, to fully decide, not wish for, hope for, long for, all of that wishy-washy crap, you have to decide that you're done and you're going to make it happen. And then I'll give you step two, since Vinny and I touched on it, is to actually take the time every day, five minutes a day, to visualize what that looks like for you so you have a clear-cut roadmap on where you're going to go. So we'll say one year from now, where you are, what does your life look like? And then you're going to slowly start taking baby action steps towards that and understand that falling and flailing and being messy along the way is all part of your journey to that. So number one, decide on success firmly, make that decision. You're going to make it happen. Number two, visualize exactly what that success looks like for you so that you know you're on the path and every day take a baby step, one step, towards that vision and you will get there. Thank you very much, Kat, for all the information you've given us. And your story is just, it's powerful. And I, I bet there's so many people out there that are in those in those moments, in those, those pieces right now where they're wondering how they can make it to the point that you're at. And I think you gave a, a great roadmap. And anyone listening right now that, that needs this kind of help, this kind of, this kind of coaching, this kind of um, advice, I mean, definitely reach out uh, to you and, and hopefully you can get to where you want to get to. Well, Vinny, just so I want to touch on any of your listeners that are not busy moms, I still offer a free training on my website that gives you the four key steps for starting a fulfilling and high profit business. So that can be applied for any of your listeners. Perfect. Well, thanks again, Kat, and, and hope you have a great one. Everyone listening, uh, this is the Road to Growth Podcast. Please subscribe, please share, and of course, tell your friends. Thank you for listening to The Road to Growth, Success of an Entrepreneur. Please like, subscribe, and stay connected. Visit www.TheEnriquezGroup.com. Yeah, I created a website. Hope to see you again next week. The Enriquez Group, signing off.